Steve Nicholson, I've already heard his name a couple times, he has been a friend of mine and a mentor for 25 years. So as an Okie, when I left for Chicago to go to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School to study with Wayne Grudem, little did I know that this white-haired guy over here would mess me up for life. Steve has been the senior pastor of the Evanston Vineyard for 42 years. And together with an amazing leadership team and one of his dear lifelong friends, Bill Hanawalt, the executive pastor, they have established one of the most diverse churches in the United States. They planted over 20 churches and they've strengthened churches all over the world. I say that because Steve's life motto, and he shared this with me 25 years ago, he said, I want to be a footnote in as many people's life stories as I possibly can. And he carries that. He is a footnote in many stories and he loves working behind the scenes. He's not interested in self-promotion. He's a humble man. He's a key leader in the vineyard movement. I know he doesn't like this. I'm up here kind of tooting his horn a little bit. Sorry, Steve. Um, he is known, though, all over the country, all over the world for mobilizing leaders, coaching church planters, equipping the saints. And so it was a real honor to have him with us over the weekend. Steve has been married to a dynamo named Cindy for 39 years, and they have eight grandkids, and I've been hearing all about them. So as I introduce Steve, I just want to share three things that Steve carries with him, and it's contagious. Love for the local church. I don't know anyone who loves the local church more than Steve. He has a passion for equipping all the saints. And thirdly, the importance of relationships, family, community is just the heartbeat of Steve Nicholson. So Steve, we're glad to have you with us today. Uh, the trouble with long introductions is they take all my time on a subject I'm not that interested in. <laughs> I've had a great time with you all uh, this weekend. Lots of good Oklahoma hospitality, gone to many meals with people. And of course, eating meals with people is like, that's how we connect with each other, right? Um, we, we have this motto at our church that the church moves forward on its stomach. That no ministry or no small group can succeed if there's not food involved. Because, of course, we're trying to help people connect, and that's how we do it. You know, if you have a funeral, what do you do? You eat together. If you have a wedding, what do you do? You eat together. You know, this is, it's all a part of how we do life as people and how we connect to each other. But some meals can change your life. Maybe the first date with the person you married, you know, that might have changed your life. Or important meal you had with a wise person or a mentor might change your life. And some meals can change history. And today, I want to talk to you about a meal that changed history. So if you got a Bible, or a phone with a Bible on it, you can turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 2. And I'm going to read this little story. It's a lovely little story, and then we'll dig into it about a meal that changed history. On the third day, 
A wedding took place at Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. These are not your little on-the-table jars. These are like, you know, person-size jars. They're big. There's six of them. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who drew the water knew. And then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till last, till now. And what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now, this... This, this happened early in Jesus' ministry. He hasn't even picked all of his disciples. Some of them are with him. The early ones are with him. And they get invited to this wedding. That's, it's probably uh, near Nazareth, some village. It's right after Jesus was, was filled with the Holy Spirit at the River Jordan when John the Baptist baptizes him. And, you know, the thing you have to understand is that for us, a wedding might be like a half, a half a day or a day, but in Jesus' time, in this location, a wedding might actually span a couple of days of everybody being together and celebrating and whatnot, and it's very important for the hosts to provide full hospitality for everybody invited, which means plenty of food and drink. And if the wine runs out, that is a shaming thing, like you have failed in your duty uh, to take care of all your guests. And now, a lot of people, they just look at this and they kind of have a superficial look at it, like either like, uh, I wonder how I can do that trick at home, or, <laughs> or if you're from a certain other kind of background, it's sort of like, what in the world is Jesus doing with this wine thing? <laughs> Because Christians don't drink, do they? And so you kind of, you can get hung up on that. But the thing that always got to me, and the question that always a little bit bothered me about this passage is that when it's all, when it gets to the end, it says, this is how Jesus revealed his glory, and it caused his disciples to believe in him. It's sort of like, Really? Like, how, how does changing water into wine reveal your glory? And, like, why would that be the thing that causes them to believe in him? 
to understand the answer to that question, you, there's some background. There's a couple of things that you need to know. And the first thing is ancient promises. There's kind of a backstory. And the first part of it is ancient promises. In the background is something that everybody in this story would know. That prophets had promised something about a future age of God's kingdom. And I want to just show you a couple examples. There were many throughout the Bible. There's a couple of these that would be in the back of their mind that are really important. First one's for Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 11. It says, For the Lord will deliver Jacob and redeem them from the hand of those stronger than they. They will come and shout for joy on the heights of Zion. They will rejoice in the bounty of the Lord. The grain, the new wine, and the olive oil, the young of the flocks and herds, they will be like a well-watered garden, and they will sorrow no more. Then the young women will dance and be glad, and young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. I will satisfy the priests with abundance, and my people will be filled with my bounty, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. So there's this coming day when the Lord is going to come, and he's going to restore their, his people, and he's going to set them free from their bondage, and he's going to bring comfort to all of their sorrows. He's going to turn their mourning into joy. And they're going to have more than enough. They're going to be free. They're going to be at peace. They're going to be prosperous. There's going to be all kinds of abundance around them. And what is more, God will put his law on their hearts. They will know him from the inside out rather than from the outside in. There's, it's going to be a whole new age of being with God and his people. And then there's Isaiah chapter 25. Beginning in verse 6, it says, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all people, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces, and he will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth the Lord has spoken. So there's coming this great age of the future when God sends his Messiah. It will be an age of rejoicing, of feasting, of abundance, and all sorrow will be turned into gladness. God will wipe away every tear, every disgrace, and even death itself would be destroyed. It's going to be an age where the rule of God once again prevails upon the earth. The kingdom of God will be realized here and now. In short, everything that's wrong in the world will be made right, and God will pour his abundance out far beyond what anybody could ever deserve or ever hope for. And so these prophecies are widely known by all these people. It's, it's kind of like saying, when the wine starts to flow like water, then the kingdom is coming. So 
They know that. And so with that in the back of their mind, Jesus goes to the wedding. Now the other thing that's going on here that's very interesting is there's two people at this wedding that have a big secret. You ever had a secret with somebody that only the two of you know? And you know how like you can be around other people and the two people know a secret and nobody else knows. And especially if it's a good secret as opposed to a bad secret, <laughs> if it's a good secret, sometimes there's little like looks that you give each other, you know? Just the little wink, the nod of the head, the little smile, like, you know, like, like when you know a friend is falling in love and nobody else knows it and you like know all about it. And so then every time they mention that person, you're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's kinda always fun to be on the inside to know the secret, right? Uh-huh. So, like, there's two people here at this wedding. They got a secret. Jesus and his mother, they got a big secret. Because the both of them, they know the whole story about who Jesus really is. The both of them know he's the Messiah, the promised one. He's going to bring the kingdom. He's the one that all the prophets were talking about. It's just about to happen. So, that's where they're coming from. He's the long-awaited son. And they also know he has just been to Jordan River, got baptized by John the Baptist, and filled with the Holy Spirit. So they know, like, it's game on now. Okay, it's game on. It's ready to go. So she knows, because, of course, She's his mother, and he tells her everything. And he knows. Nobody else knows. So when she comes, you kind of have to picture this. It's all these people sitting around, and they're laughing, and they're talking. It's a wedding banquet. And they're, you know, Jesus' disciples are probably telling jokes, and da-da-da, and they're having a great time, and the music is playing. And she comes up behind him. And she leans over and she says, and I kind of imagine this with like a little bit of a the knowing smile. They have no more wine. Hint, hint. They're out of wine. They're like, and she's saying a whole bunch of things when she does that. It's got like about a triple meaning when she says they have no more wine. First on, it's the obvious. Okay, they're out of wine. They're in trouble. They're going to be shamed. Like we need to fix this. But she's also saying something else. Hey, what a perfect opportunity for you to show them who you really are. You have to remember this is a good mother who wants her son to be a success, right? Hey, this is your opening. They're out of line. We know what you're supposed to be doing here. And she's also saying something else. She's saying something about the nation. The nation has no wine. They have no joy. They don't know the goodness of God. 
they're still waiting for their Messiah. So if you understand the, the triple meanings that's going on in this little conversation, then you understand that when he says, why are you involving me? Wink, wink, smile, smile. Because he knows exactly why she's involving him. They both know. He's also saying, but you know, it's not quite time for me to fulfill the whole thing. You know, I like do the nation thing. It's not time for that. You know, the cross is still coming. They both know that's true. It's coming. It's not time. So he's essentially saying to her, one step at a time, lady. <laughs> one step at a time. But she walks away and she knows he's going to do it. All right? So he's not rejecting her at all. They're, they're, just, they're dancing around this thing because they got a secret. So then she goes to the, the servants and says, do whatever he tells you to do. Because she's, she can see in the wink of his eye and the smile and the nod, he's going to do something. I, I know the cross thing isn't coming yet and the nation will have to wait, but we can fix the banquet and they'll get the idea. So, it's the first step towards revealing the big secret. It's about, like, letting people know who Jesus is. So, she says, do whatever he tells you to do. And when he changes the water into wine, it's big. Like, this is not like a glass of water. We're going to turn this glass into wine. No, no, no. It's like the biggest containers you can spot. Giant. It's way more than they needed for the banquet. I mean, you have to understand, we're talking 180 gallons of high-quality wine. Which is something enough, enough to fill about 800 bottles. Like, if we tried to consume that amount here collectively this morning, nobody would be going home. <laughs> so anybody who saw that could not fail to see that there's something more here than just wine, water being turned into wine. You see, it's, you would suddenly realize, whoa, it's not just water into wine, it's a Abundance. It's kingdom abundance. It's the, it's the future age. It's like, like, it's happening what they said. God's pouring out his abundance. The wine is flowing like water. And the servants knew. Nobody else did. And what did they know? Well, they knew a great deal more than that Jesus could make people happy or save them from a little social embarrassment. They knew the secret. They saw, and those who had eyes to see understood, the anointed one is here. The kingdom of God is coming. And that changes everything. And that is why changing the water into wine revealed his glory. And when the disciples knew, 
it says they believed. And there are four secret messages that are contained here that let me, I'd just like to quickly kind of go through with you. First one, the message that it's Jesus that's bringing the, the messianic age of the future. The, the wine's flowing like water. It's a world-shaking message. It means the age of the future has invaded pr the present. It means from now on, God is starting that process of making right everything that's wrong. It's the beginning of the end. So from this moment on, from the moment that water turned into wine, that's the beginning of the last days, folks. That's the beginning of the end. That's the beginning of God starting to make everything right that's wrong in the world. God's not going to stand by and just let the world keep going the way it is. He's going to make things right. He's here now and going to do it. The rule of God to take back the world might still be in a secret stage, but it's here. And those who see can see it. So Jesus revealed his glory. In short, he's here is the message. He's here. He's here. You want to know what good news is? He's here to make everything right. He's here. Jesus is here in your life. He's here with us to make everything right, to make things the way they should be. That's what the disciples saw, and that's why they put their faith in him. Whatever he touches has a way of coming back to life, back to what's good, back to what's right. You know, a couple of years ago, my youth pastor got a call. We, about every other month or so, we do this thing called rock band or rock show because we figured out that all the high school students around us, you know, start these garage bands. And what they desperately need is a, a place with lights and sound systems to play for their friends that their parents are safe. And, you know, so we decided, well, we'll just do it at the church because we can make it safe. It's better than all the alternatives. And we'll hire a policeman to, you know, patrol the parking lot just to kind of keep the drugs and the alcohol down a little bit. And we'll invite these bands to come into our church. So they're not Christian kids. They're like just kids from the community and they need something good because we're trying to establish a relationship with them. We want to get them in the door and figure out like, hey, these are nice people. They're great, you know. So that's what we're doing. So one day, one of the moms calls him up to check them out. Like, just want to make sure, like, these people are kosher and that this isn't some kind of cult and, <laughs> you know. So she's, she's calling to check, check us out. And she starts talking to him, and she kind of likes him. And the next thing you know, she's, like, telling him all her story. Like, well, you know, I got all these problems in my life. I got this going on and this going on. And she says, you know, I got this thing that's wrong with me physically, and the doctors can't figure out what it is. And so he just said, well, just let me pray for you. On the phone. She says, well, okay, I guess. So he prays for her. End of conversation. The next day, she calls him back. She says, hey, 
after you prayed for me, like all my symptoms went away and I'm feeling completely better. She says, you really need to pray for my sister. Like she's really sick. And she's got all kinds of things wrong with her and she's in terrible shape. Like, can we make an appointment for you to come and pray for my sister? So they made this appointment for him to come and pray for her sister. And so the day comes and he goes there and it's not even close. It's a different part of town. He's going there to pray for the sister. He gets there, prays for her, and she's got like 20 things going on. So he says, pick one. We'll just work on one. Pick one. And, and he prays for her, and, he, and she feels better. But they say, but we can't stay. We can't go. We have to leave, and you've got to come with us. And he says, why? He says, because our nephew, who's 20 years old, was hit by a train this morning as a pedestrian. And he's in the hospital. They say he has no brain function. The family's gathering. They're going to pull the plug this afternoon. You have to come. And he's sort of like, at this point, he's thinking, like, how did I get here? <laughs> like, but you can't, like, say, no, I'm not going to come. So, like, okay, okay, where's, you know, and so he's driving to this hospital. It's an hour away, and he gets there, and it's just like, it's a horror scene. I mean, you know, you got this kid, and he's got all these tubes, and, he's, and you know, it's all, all broken, and the family's all gathered around, and they're sobbing and wailing, and it's, you know, and, the, and you know, so the medical people say, okay, you can come in for five minutes, and, you know, like, what do you do? And, so he just said, well, let's just join hands and pray. And he sort of, and I don't even think he prayed for the kid, actually. I think he just was sort of like, Jesus, please be here, help us, amen, kind of a thing. It was just um, virtue, almost like a, just, Jesus, just be here, bring your kingdom, be here. And he leaves. They call him up the next day. They said, you need to know. 15 minutes after you left the room, he opened his eyes and started looking around the room. And they started, and he started becoming responsive. And they didn't pull the plug, and something's happening. And so we had one of our church plants that was much closer to this hospital than we were. So we called him up. We said, well, there's this guy. We, th we think he's like getting something. Come on. Can you start? Can you send people there every day to pray for him? Because something's happening. God's doing something with this kid who's all but dead. And I want you to know, two months later, that young man walked into our building walking and talking. Whole. Oh. When Jesus brings the kingdom, that's what happens. Dead things come to life. Things that are wrong get made right. I've seen him bring joy and fruitfulness and health back to a family ripped apart by the untimely death of a parent. I've seen him set free a hopeless addict. I've seen him end a lifetime of struggling with depression in the space of a few minutes. 
I've seen him wipe away all manner of physical illnesses. I've seen him bring unexplainable joy to those who've suffered persecution for the name of Jesus. I've seen him bring reconciliation to bitter enemies. There are not enough books in all the world to contain all that he has done. And he can do it for you. Second, the new age changes the whole spiritual order from in, outside to inside. Rain. I'm real happy to hear that rain because it means the storm is coming over now, not two hours from now when I want to go home. <laughs> so that's an answer to prayer. But you know what? The wine is like a symbol also of blood. And so it's sort of like this is the beginning of the law being written on our hearts. And third, this age brings the blessings of God in overwhelming abundance. It's the promise of way more than anybody needs. In Jesus the Messiah, there is more than enough for everybody. There's more than enough for you and everybody you know. In Jesus, there is grace upon grace, favor upon favor, far beyond what we could possibly deserve. In Jesus, there is provision and healing and hope again and again with no end in sight. In Jesus, there is inexhaustible joy, joy beyond comprehension, joy unspeakable, joy unending, joy in the midst of our sufferings, joy in the day, joy in the night, and then still more joy that's coming on the great day when we at last see him face to face. And the last secret, the best, will come at the end. The steward says, you saved the best till last, and so it is with the kingdom of God. The best will come at the end. Right now, the kingdom's here, and what we see already is wonderful, and it's only a piece. It's only a taste. It's only the first start. Right now, we receive only a part, just a glimpse of the kingdom working in the world. We living in a time of struggle between the kingdom of the world and the kingdom of God. And so on the one hand, we see God's incredible redemption and healing. And yet, we still also see brokenness and tragedy and sickness and death. But a day is coming at the end when it will change all of it. What we see now is not all that there will be because we will see him face to face. And then it says we will join Jesus Messiah in the greatest wedding banquet of all time, the wedding banquet of the Lamb and his bride, the church. And on that day, we will celebrate the final victory over death and evil and hatred and violence and sickness. Imagine the celebration that will be. All our tears, all our tears wiped away. And in that moment, the entirety of all of our current suffering will seem as nothing more than faint shadows in the light of the glory and the joy of that day.
And so I found that it's helpful to keep my eyes on that feast that is coming. I remember in the midst of sorrows that the great feast is my destiny and your destiny. And it's our goal. And day by day, I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. And when I get there, I will say, it was worth it all. And it was all true. When those servants and those disciples saw the wine, they knew then. They got the message. In a flash of realization, they knew he's here. And their lives were never the same again. You know, a few years back, we took a bunch of people over to England to do a healing conference. And one of the guys was a tennis instructor. He was the newest in the club. So he had to ask every single other instructor whether it would be okay for him to take the time off. And of course, they all asked him, why are you going? What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to England. Oh, you're going to see the sites? No, we're going over there to go to a bunch of churches and teach people how to heal the, heal the sick. You know? So we had an incredible time on the trip. We saw blind people see and deaf people hear all kinds of miracles and I mean, it was amazing stuff that happened. And so we're on the plane and we're coming home. And I go up to him and I said, uh, so what are you going to tell people when you get home? Like, they're all going to ask you how your trip was. What are you going to tell them? And he says, I'm going to tell them it's all true. It's all true. It's all true. What we read in the book, it's all true. Now, let me just ask you guys, what would it mean if the kingdom of God came into your life right now? What would it mean if the kingdom of God came into your family right now? What would it mean if the kingdom of God came into your work or your school this week? Or your neighborhood? Or with your friends? What would that look like? What might that be? Because if you invite a man, it just might happen. And with that in mind, I'd like to suggest that we end by praying the prayer that Jesus taught us together. We call it the Lord's Prayer, or if you're from a Catholic background, you might call it the Our Father. Shall we stand? And I want you to think about your family or your work or your neighborhood. That place that's broken that place that's dead, that place where there's tears, that place where things aren't right, that place where things aren't the way they're supposed to be, and then let's pray this prayer. So think for a minute. Think of that place 
And then let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others. For yours. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.